Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My unsuspecting guest today is uh, Dana B. Roseman. She's the Director of Technology and Applied Research, part of Integrated Diabetes Services. Uh, She's accredited by the American Association of Diabetes Educators. And we're going to talk about uh, her work. So, Dana, thanks for coming. Yeah, happy to be here. Excited to talk a little bit. Yeah, so is your work more clinical or is it more research or is it a mixture of both? So I have um, just the the luck of doing a little bit of both. Um, A lot of research has actually been shut down during COVID right now. And so we're not doing new research programs or studies, but um, we're finishing up some obesity and diabetes um, trials that did start prior to March 2020. So we're kind of continuing those on. Um, so most of my work right now is clinical, one-on-one interactions with people who have type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and also um, I do a lot of work with people trying to do prevention. Oh, so what do you notice that's uh, a big difference between uh, someone with type 1 and type 2 diabetes and how they act and how they respond to treatment and everything? Well, there are very people who have type 1 diabetes. It's caused by an autoimmune reaction. Um, people who have type 2 diabetes, it's often kind of developed over a long period of time with lifestyle. It can definitely be impacted by genetics. Um, there's a lot of research in that um, both types of diabetes actually can be impacted by the microbiome, um, so kind of environmental um, issues as well. But in terms of how people react to their health, that is really similar across the board. The people that I work with um, are a little bit self-selected in that they have sought out aggressive treatment. They want to have um, tighter control of their blood sugars. They want to prevent developing type 2 diabetes. Um, and I also work with a lot of young children and, and their families. And so those folks as well, you know, their health is the highest priority. Um, in terms of prevention, what kind of strategies are you, like who is someone that would be you'd be working on a prevention with? Is it prevention of comorbidities and decline, or is it prevention of diabetes itself? Um, So a lot of people get a pre-diabetes diagnosis and really start to get scared. You know, I don't want to develop type 2 diabetes is usually what they say. And so that is really um, a lot of the people that I work with. We talk about nutrition as a way of um, just making good, healthy choices, nutrition in terms of weight loss, nutrition in terms of balanced diet, um, really focusing on quality nutrition for prevention of developing type 2 diabetes. But, um, you know, as a dietitian, when I have my dietitian hat on, you know, there's a, um, a quote by Hippocrates that is, uh, let food be thy medicine. And I really hold that to be true in terms of prevention and wellness, just in general. So uh, in terms of food, you know, I personally experienced that there's people out there that will say, oh, you know, being a vegan is the way to go. And other ones will say, no, no, it's the keto diet. And other ones will have like, you know, uh, other types of diets. Um, do you do you give people usually like one type of plan 
in terms of diet <laughs> to follow or is there multiple depending on the, their circumstances? Yeah, absolutely. The perfect diet is so individualized. And um, yeah, that, that kind of made me chuckle because, you know, if there was one way to get a child to sleep through the night, there wouldn't be a million books. If there was one diet that worked well for everybody, there wouldn't be, you know, a million bestsellers for that as well. So when I think about a healthy diet, it really has to be individualized to that person. We do know that there are some people who respond really well to a keto diet. We also know that a lot of people develop insulin resistance after following a keto diet. Um, and so it, it has to be something that um, that is really individualized for that person. And especially about their health goals, you know, what their genetic tendencies are or, um, you know, how their lifestyle is. We really do not do a one-size-fits-all for diet. Did you say that people that are on a keto diet um develop more insulin resistance? They can. So this is something that a lot of people don't realize, but there is some research. Well, if you have a high fat diet, you have a lot of triglycerides in your blood kind of circulating and triglycerides actually make you insulin resistant while you have that high level circulating through your blood. And so you'll notice this with people who wear continuous glucose monitors. Um, after you eat a high fat meal, people's blood sugars will show elevated for a significant part of time after that high fat meal. And it's because of their triglycerides. And so people who follow a high fat keto diet, if they have a tendency towards that insulin resistance, it doesn't necessarily help, which is why, um, you know, it can help short time. You cut out carbohydrates, you eliminate sugar, you eliminate a lot of high processed carbohydrates, your blood sugars might drop initially, but over time you may not see that same benefit kind of protocols do you recommend for people then? I know, obviously, like you said, it depends, but there's probably a few different major ones. So what, what are absolutely, those? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we know that, um, you know, when we're talking about diabetes, the microbiome, the, the healthy bacteria, or just the bacteria in general in your gut makes a big difference in terms of digestion. And um, we're seeing that your microbiome really does impact your blood sugars and your glycemic control. And so what helps promote a healthy gut bacteria population is high fiber foods. So again, going back to the basics, whole plants, whole fruits, whole vegetables, high fiber, whole grains. Um, and those don't impact blood sugars quite as much either because they are digested on a slower basis. And so blood sugars are a little bit more balanced after high fiber meals. And, um, and it also keeps you full longer. So you're not as hungry at the next meal. And so pairing high fiber carbohydrates with lean, healthy proteins is a nice combination really to start with everybody and then adjust it from there. Let's say someone just for some reason really wants to do the, the keto diet. If they up sure. the fiber content, would that help mitigate any of the bad effects of the keto diet, for instance? It could, you know, keto diet is kind of this catch-all phrase, but you know, you might be talking about a diet that you're calling keto, whereas I may have a different definition of that. And so I always try to get an idea of what somebody is considering keto. And sometimes someone says, oh, I follow a keto diet, but I'm eating 100 grams of carbohydrates throughout the day. Or somebody else is saying, you know what, I only have 20 grams for the entire day for a keto diet, I only have 20 grams of carbohydrates. So that is wildly different with a keto diet that you're calling kind of a keto diet with 100 grams of carbs a day, you can definitely include high fiber vegetables um, and some whole grains. 
with a keto diet that you're calling of only 20 grams for the day, it's really tricky to get in some of those greens and some other carbs. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. And what other types of uh, major diets are, um, you know, you've seen in the, uh, in this world? Yeah, so a lot of people, especially after I think there's been some documentaries on Netflix, you know, a lot of people come and say, I'm going to be vegan. Um, a vegan diet can be really anti-inflammatory. Again, if that's one of the health goals that you have, you have some um, high inflammatory responses in your body, maybe an anti-inflammation diet is the way to go. Um, a vegan diet can be really healthy and, and a good place to start for that but it does need to be done right. And so vegans don't by definition with not having any animal protein, they don't have any B12 um, in a food source. And so supplementation is definitely an important part of following a strictly vegan diet. Um, and so then again, just education takes the place and, and making sure it's individualized. Yeah, okay. Of the people that you work with, like do you work with them long-term or just for a few weeks in the beginning of you know, like a pre-diabetes or diabetes diagnosis, like, you know, what's it look like to work with you in the early stages? A lot of um, the people that I work with, um, I will see about every six weeks, every, you know, eight to 10 weeks, depending on their goals. So if I'm, if I'm following somebody for diabetes management, and they're already pretty well managed, we might do once a quarter, um, just to touch in, make sure that we're doing, um, we're up to date on any new technology that may support them or make their life easier, decrease their burden of diabetes. Um, but if I'm working with someone initially on pre-diabetes and prevention or weight loss um, or someone who's not well managed, I will see them a little bit more often, probably once a month for several months just to Kind of have a boot camp of wellness and get them feeling comfortable and empowered on making decisions. You know, diabetes is one of those diseases that, you know, you really have to focus on at least three times a day when you're eating your meal, we have to eat. And we know that um, eating is going to impact our blood sugar. And, you know, if you're focusing on weight loss, it's going to impact your weight. And so you kind of just don't get a break from that. And so um, I, I always want to make sure people feel supported. And if I need to talk to them more often. That's what we'll do. Well, I've, I've spoken to a bunch of endocrinologists and, uh, you know, they seem to see the patients only when there's an emergency, Right. you know, maybe every three months, six months. So uh, when do you get involved? I mean, you know, do doctors refer you or how do you get involved and why and when? Yeah. So, um, I, um, yes, I'm, I'm usually, ref well, I would say both ways. A, a lot of doctors do refer to me. Um, I actually work in an endocrinology clinic two days a week. And so I work with patients who are already there. Um, and then three days a week, I work with patients really kind of who, all over the globe. Um, and those patients usually are self-selected. Again, they're looking for more education or more support than they got from their endocrinologist who, you know, you just said they're seeing them kind of, you know, four times a year writing prescriptions, um, you know, maybe somebody doesn't feel like they're getting as much support or as much, as much education. And I really feel myself, um, I kind of consider myself a coach, you know, I'm going to work with that patient on their level and help them achieve their potential and where they want to be. And, and so I think that having a little bit more interaction with them is definitely helpful for that and really kind of necessary. So you'll work with them for, you know, every six weeks, approximately for how long of a time period, years sometimes, or 
and they only give um, them two no, weeks? Yeah, no. I mean, again, my goal is to um, is to allow someone to get education from me and then feel empowered again because they're going to have this disease. You know, diabetes is chronic, and they're going to have this disease the rest of their life. And so, you know, I always tell people that we're not going to have a cure in the next few years, but technology and treatment is certainly going to help you feel like you have a cure. And so I want people to feel empowered to make those decisions on food choices and wellness and education. And technology is a huge part of diabetes management right now. And we're really at the beginning of an explosion of even more technology. And so, um, you know, I, I, I tend to work with a certain group of people, yes, over years, but not necessarily in the same um, you know, intensity that I do in the beginning. And then there's certain people that, um, you know, say we work together for six months, you lose 20 pounds, your numbers look great. You feel like you can sustain some of these healthy habits we've um, established together. And then, you know, touch base with me in the year and we'll see how things are going. So what kind of uh, results are typical for just going to an endocrinologist or a diabetes doctor versus you know, working with you or a practitioner where you're doing more advanced stuff, uh, more intense monitoring? Um, you know, I think that it depends on the endocrinologist. I think that certain clinics are really um, well run and, you know, you have a patient and the doctor have a really good partnership. They feel like they can work together um, and they, you know, have conversations of, of where everybody's health goals are. Um, a lot of times, you know, endocrinologists are busy, um, you know, primary care offices, they're just lacking time, unfortunately, they have so many people that come to visit with them that it's really kind of a prescription refill um, process, and, and they don't have the time and the luxury that I have in terms of really sitting down with the individual and finding out you know, where do they feel they need help? Where do they struggle? What are their triggers? What is um, preventing them maybe from, from having the best management? Is it access to care? Is it expensive medications? Is it um, problems with technology? Um, you know, depending on, on what those, questions, those answers are to those questions, we, we might do something different. But I really am privileged that I have a whole hour with, um, with someone and sometimes even more um, the way that I practice through integrated diabetes is we work on a retainer system. And so I have face-to-face -face visits with people, but I also have the ability to talk with them on an ongoing basis through email. And we can do a lot of data sharing with blood sugars. We can do a lot of sharing of um, food logs, things like that, that people can share with me remotely. And, and we can continue kind of that coaching model that I described earlier. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You know, if you were to sort the major issues people have in being successful and keeping their health while they're pre-diabetic or diabetic, like what are the biggest showstoppers? Well, they're really different because if, if you have pre-diabetes, you have some sort of insulin resistance. Well, how do you limit insulin resistance? Um, you can develop a healthy exercise program, you can lose weight, kind of focus on, on your meal composition, include high fiber. But if, if you have type two diabetes, um, you know, that is an autoimmune disorder where you've stopped producing insulin. And the only way to thrive with that diagnosis is to take external insulin and whether you decide to do injection shots that are we call multiple, multiple daily injections or an insulin pump, or a continuous glucose monitor, 
Um, they get a lot more complicated just because someone with type one diabetes has to take insulin through injections or some sort of insulin pump. Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, if they're not at that point though, if they're, let's say they're at the stage of what's called diet controlled, you yeah. know, that stage, what are the major things that, uh, you know, that cause gotcha. people problems? So if you've got pre-diabetes or, um, or type two diabetes, then really managing your weight, managing, um, through diet and exercise, which, you know, we say all the time, it's kind of this catch-all, right? So what does that mean, controlling it through diet and exercise? Um, you know, you don't have to be a marathon runner, but getting some sort of activity on a daily basis makes a huge difference for insulin resistance and glucose management and including strength training so that, um, you know, your, your muscle fibers really help with um, insulin resistance as well. So it's not just cardio and it's kind of that balance um, so if I were to say kind of the biggest, um, improvement that people make, if, if you were to say, you know, how can people get the biggest improvement through pre-diabetes or type two diabetes, I would say it was finding some sort of activity to do on a daily basis, and then also managing their carbohydrate load. And what I mean by that is how many carbohydrates they're having at one time and, making those carbohydrates that they are having quality carbohydrates. So back to that high fiber carbohydrates paired with some sort of lean protein. So an example of that could be, you know, an apple has a high fiber component paired with some sort of peanut butter as an example, um, just kind of managing their meal composition and how much they're having at one time. What are some of the new technologies you're seeing? You're saying we're seeing an explosion right now. What I'm talking about is automated insulin delivery through insulin pumps. And so we've had insulin pumps for a really, really long time. They used to be as big as, as a shoebox. Um, but now we've got the development of continuous glucose monitors, which we've had probably a little over a decade now. Um, and these are, this is technology that, that measures people's blood sugars every minute or every five minutes, depending on the system that, um, that someone is wearing. And if we're having continuous glucose monitors that check blood sugars, and we're also wearing an insulin pump that's delivering insulin, now we have a marriage of the two that can talk to each other. So if the continuous glucose monitor shows that somebody's blood sugar is rising or falling, that communication can go to the insulin pump and either increase the amount of insulin they're getting that will help lower their blood sugar, or actually turn off the insulin delivery, which will help prevent further lowering their blood sugar. And so this automated insulin delivery systems that we have um, are really making blood sugar management, specifically for people who have type one diabetes, so much easier. We have 42 biological kind of um, factors that impact somebody's blood sugar. I mean, 42. So it's really kind of staggering that someone who doesn't have diabetes can have these beautiful, normal blood sugars, right? Um, and so when, when you don't have that, that kind of beautiful, perfect control that someone has when they don't have diabetes, we have a hard time, or, or someone who has diabetes has a really hard time struggling with those 42 factors that are affecting their blood sugar. And so the technology tremendously helps with that. What are, what are some of those factors? It's a lot of different ones. What are the major ones? Yeah, it could be lack of sleep. It could be stress. It could be illness. It could be infection. It could be steroid um, medication. It could be change in other medications. Um, 
you know, obviously it could, it could be weight. It could be um, just all sorts of temperature, actually. It could be the absorption that someone's having of their insulin. It, it, the list goes on and on. With insulin pumps, I mean, now they're hooked up to, what, CGMs? To monitor? Because so, I heard that before they weren't, and I guess the act of going to sleep could be dangerous if the thing keeps pumping you full of insulin. It could kill you, you know? Right. I mean, so that is a big fear that a lot of people with type 1 diabetes has wearing an insulin pump is, is going to sleep. That's, that's usually a very big concern. And the biggest concern really is what happens if I'm low and I don't wake up? right? And how am I going to treat that low blood sugar? So the treatment of a low blood sugar is taking in fast acting sugar, like a glucose tablet. Um, and so if you sleep through that low, yeah, it could be very scary. And so the, the insulin pumps that are responding or reacting to a continuous glucose monitor really help tremendously with that fear, especially at night. Um, but the biggest change that has come in, in really the past, you know, nine 12 months has been pumps that actually can help with rising blood sugars as well. So, you know, if the, in the continuous glucose monitors, they will tell somebody what their blood sugar is, but they also share with the person how fast their glucose is changing. And so that's kind of a big difference. If your blood sugar is normal, but dropping really, really fast, you have the knowledge ahead of time to prevent having a low blood sugar because you could treat it almost as a as you're predicting the future. And that's what these continuous glucose monitors can help people do is really predict, okay, you see a really big change. You're going to make a change now in the present in help to help you prevent either a low or a high blood sugar in the future. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I've worn a, a CGM for a while, you know, and my wife has too. And it's, it's weird. You see all this behavior you would otherwise never see. Like, you know, she Absolutely. has a bunch of carbs. Her yeah. sugar will spike up and then crash down and mine will go up and just sit there and take a little <laughs> while to come down, you know? So it's weird. And, and, all the different highs. and, you know, you could say, oh, going back to our discussion about um, triglycerides and a keto diet, you know, you might say, oh, I realized I had, you know, a block of cheese and, you know, a ribeye for dinner and my blood sugars were high. Why is that? And you think back, mm -hmm. oh, okay, I had a lot of fat. Um, so I work with a lot of people who, you know, kind of back to your question about pre-diabetes is they'll wear a continuous glucose monitor on, on my suggestion and really just have such insight into kind of what's happening underneath the surface, you know, and how their body's reacting to food and exercise and even stress and, you know, lack of sleep, things like that, just like what you're describing you and your wife did. Yeah. And well, also during sleep too, you know, I would see uh, sometimes the, the blood sugar cycling and then, you know, I, I don't know five, six in the morning, it would come up and keep going mm -hmm. up until I woke up. Uh, there just didn't seem to be much information on CGM curves and what's interesting about them. And I don't, do you know if there's much science around that or no? Oh, absolutely. And so at five or six o'clock in the morning, you start producing cortisol, which is a hormone that actually raises your blood sugar. And um, we used to call that the dawn phenomenon. And, and we really thought prior to continuous glucose monitors that everybody had a dawn phenomenon, especially if they had diabetes, but we're really seeing it's not a daily occurrence. It could be based on maybe um, just your activity the day before, were you more active, were you more sedentary, um, you know, kind of things that how, you know, how is the quality of your sleep? Um, but absolutely, there's a lot you can learn in the overnight 
highs and lows of someone's continuous glucose monitor. And when I when I look at a CGM, um, it really tells me a story of um, you know certain things that that person has done during the day and and you know their activity, their food, their stress, their sleep, you know things like that. Mm. Is there any other new technology coming that uh, you think is going to be a big game changer? Well, there's um, there's not necessarily you know we're kind of well there is. Um, uh, encapsulation, which I don't, it's, it's not necessarily technology. It's, um, it's, it's uh, encapsulated protected stem cells that are being developed into beta cells. And beta cells are part of the pancreas that produces insulin. And so um, this is a um, development where you can actually implant new healthy beta cells um, under someone's skin who has type 1 diabetes. And in type 1 diabetes, the autoimmune reaction is actually killing or eliminating the beta cell function in somebody. And so we're reintroducing those beta cells, but encapsulating them in almost like a shark cage, something that's preventing further autoimmune attacks on those, those healthy beta cells. And so they're doing a lot of studies with um, with people and that encapsulation, I guess, tech, biotechnology, and and seeing great results that they no longer have to take insulin injections. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of other advances in insulin therapies. We have um, smart insulin that's being developed. There's a lot of um, faster acting insulin that's working on being developed, um, and then other kind of adjunct therapy. Um, so at the core of type 1 diabetes, we need to replace insulin that's no longer being produced by somebody. But there's other things that that could help. And one thing that treats dangerously low blood sugars is um, a hormone called glucagon. And people will take glucagon shots to help if they're not responsive and they can't treat a low blood sugar by taking more fast-acting sugar orally. And so there's a development of some stable glucagon that we could also put into an insulin pump. And what the beauty of that is if you have an insulin pump that's giving insulin to somebody when their blood sugar is high, and you also have an insulin pump that has a second chamber for glucagon that can help somebody regulate a low blood sugar without having extra glucose, extra calories, um, that's truly, you know, kind of an automated insulin bionic pancreas basically yeah okay very good Anna. we're just about out of time what's the best way for people to find out more about your work and you know i don't know if they have to be local to you or no that's um so through integrated diabetes services um and our website is integrateddiabetes.com we have um the ability to work remotely with patients all over the globe um, there's several of us that work there and, and we all have, um, patients that are international along with, um, just patients that are, that are in the United States and people looking for tighter management on diabetes, but also with wellness and preventative services. Okay. And, and best way for people to reach you is what? Is, um, is email really. And it's Dana at integrateddiabetes.com. Okay. Well, very good. Dana, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks so much. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.